Welcome to this week's episode of Compound Your Knowledge, where we cover three research papers from our blog each week. As always, I got Dr. Jack Vogel with us. Uh, one paper this week is going to be on the behavioral side of investing. One is on factor investing, surprising, and one is a recap of our Democratized Quant Conference. The first paper we have is from the journal Behavioral Finance and was summarized by Elizabetta. It's titled Aggregate Investor Confidence in the Stock Market. I'm going to give you an opening on it because it's pretty uh, interesting to kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about. So Elizabetta went, a common assumption in finance theory is that agents in the stock market behave rationally. Even if temporary mispricing occurs due to irrational beliefs or incomplete information of some agents, arbitragers swiftly restore equilibria. In contrast, the history of stock market yields rich evidence of events. The crash of 1929, the Black Monday in 1987, dot-com bubble in 2000, or the 2010 flash crash that are difficult to align with this assumption. The author investigates one possible explanation for seemingly irrational stock market behavior, which is overall investor confidence. So the author asked the following research question, what is the effect of aggregate investor confidence on trading activity and risk appetite? Jack, how did they go about measuring investor confidence and, and what are the drivers of overconfidence? Yeah, so well, what, what the paper did is, you know, they tried to come up with a measure of aggregate overconfidence, which is actually hard to do. Right. right. So there are a lot of other papers that use different types of data uh, to measure sentiment in the market. Right. So like Baker Wurgler has a sentiment index. Mm -hmm. People have looked at the AAII uh, investor sentiment index, which mm -hmm. has been around since the mid 80s. Cool. There's uh, there's other measures as well that people have used, including like the Schiller uh, housing price data, as well as overbought or sold. So. There's, there's numerous measures to try to come up with sentiment. Mm -hmm. And what this paper attempted to do was come up with a unique new measure to try to come up with how, how one would define what overconfidence is. And they basically base it on uh, kind of Griffin Tversky idea back from 1992, which is that people become more overconfident if you know, they have a signal with a high strength and they put higher weight on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So their signal, what they actually do here is they look for uh, using essentially like stock market return, how high it is above kind of expectations or the past returns. Mm -hmm. So a higher return would be a higher strength signal. Yep. And then their way to measure weight is just standard deviation of returns over some time period. Mm -hmm. Right. Where actually you put more weight on your signal like that you're adding value yeah. when volatility is higher, right? right? So higher volatility actually gives you, uh, sorry, higher volatility gives you a lower lower weight on your signal. Right, right? and behaviorally, I guess, because you know, if the stock market's up 20% and the year before it was up 0% and you made 20%, you that makes you feel smart. Like that's a big standard deviation away, right? Yeah, but yeah. you're like, wow, I'm so smart. I got this 20% return. 
Exactly. Last year was zero. And so what they tried to do in this paper was come up with a new measure that they show is actually uncorrelated, unrelated to all these other sentiment measures. Got it. To measure overconfidence. And then they say, okay, well, how does this affect investor behavior? Got it. Okay. So so that's interesting. So, so this study introduces a new measure of uh, investor confidence. Uh, there was a great chart in this paper detailing this investor confidence. What did that show? Yeah, so figure one in the paper, which we'll highlight here, what it shows is it kind of shows the investor overconfidence, the signal strength over time. Mm -hmm. And what you notice is that investors tend to become more overconfident around big events, mm -hmm. right? Like the, so the big events kind of being, you know, the dot-com crash, the global financial crisis, back into the Great Depression, oil issues in the 70s. So what they, this new measure finds is that investors appeared to become overconfident right before all of these big crashes. Uh, yeah, okay. So what's uh yeah what what what's the takeaway here then you know what, what what should investors walk away with? Yeah, I mean, so this paper came up with a new measure to measure overconfidence and showed that it appears to be related to major market events, mm -hmm. right? So uh, potentially some of this could be caused by investor overconfidence. I think is kind of what they're getting at, and what they also find is that people become they do more trading when they become more overconfident. Done. You gonna you gonna make any predictions for where we're at right now? Market overconfident, underconfident? Uh, as of twenty fourteen, it was actually kind of flat. Okay. So that's when their data ends. Yeah. I'll stick with the results in the paper. I gotcha. All right. So so the the second paper we'll look at this week is summarized by friend of the firm Larry Swedro. Uh, the blog post is titled "The Factors That Plague Factor Investing." Larry summarized a paper from a few heavyweights in the industry, Rob Arnott and Cam Harvey, which was titled Alice's Adventures in Factorland, Three Blunders That Plague Factor Investing. And I normally don't read both our blog post title and the title of the uh, research summary, but both of these were pretty interesting titles, so I, you get them both. So, so a little background. Their study covers the period from 196, July 1963 through June 2019, and the authors raise five concerns related to factor investing. What I'll do is I'll walk through these concerns, and then Jack will give you the, the, the takeaway uh, on that specific concern from the paper. So, so the first concern they brought up, Jack, was uh, the risk of data mining with factors. What, what did they have to say on that? Yeah, and so this is also a combination of Larry's commentary as well as the paper. Right. So just to be clear, yep. you know, so uh, on, on risk of data mining, you know, an issue we talked about it on our site. We actually have a paper where they basically just data mined, you know, every the CompuStat database, right? Yeah. And so on data mining, right? Obviously, you do want to avoid this issue, and Larry suggests kind of what's outlined in his book which is like the five steps to make sure it's, you know, persistent, pervasive, uh, robust, uh, I forget this, the fourth and fifth, yeah. but the idea is the idea should be backed by some logic, right? So it yeah. should be based in some like risk factor, yeah. right? It should be robust. It should be able to use different types of measures and still work. So value investing would kind of like fit the bill on right. that. Whereas if you just data mined and come up with some random variable that works, that's probably a data mine variable. 
right. and something you wouldn't want to use in the future. And we, and we, we talked about it in a few videos ago. There, there was some strategy. You went long companies that started with the letter U or something and short companies with the letter L. You would have had no drawdown in 2008 and had 20% annualized returns or something like that. Right? Yeah. So, so that's an example of a, of a data mind, right? There's no economic rationale behind going long companies with the letter U, short with the company, letter, you know, letter L, that, that at least we can decipher. Um, so, okay. The, the second uh, concern was overcrowding of factors post-publication. What, what did Larry and, and this paper have to say on that? Yeah, so I mean, there's, you know, the McLean and Pontiff paper, there's replicating anomalies. What these show is kind of out of sample. The premiums come down a little bit, right? Some of them don't work. However, a lot of the, the larger ones, the premiums still exist. It might just be smaller. Yeah. So the question actually becomes, hey, did the trade become overcrowded? Did more money go into it, right? So let's just stick with value, right? Let's assume it's risk-based just for the sake of argument. Yeah. So the, the additional risk is not going away. The only way then the premium will go away is if more people just decided to take on riskier securities while accepting a lower premium, right? Yeah. Which could happen, right? The same th thing could happen in the market, right? So for anyone who says that, you know, a factor premium may have gone away, yeah. they also then have to reconcile that with, well, do I think the market factor premium has gone away because of overcrowding, which it could right. at times, right? The, the market factor... Yeah. Everybody, you know, we talk about momentum and value, like that's the biggest factor. Yeah. And right? so what Larry highlights is a couple of posts we've done on our site by numerous people, uh, which tie back to journal articles, basically just showing in general when you aggregate like ETFs, funds, you basically just get the market, right? Mm -hmm. People have just rebuilt the market. So yeah. it's not, it does not appear as if these things have been overcrowded necessarily. Gotcha. Uh, third one, unrealistic trading cost expectations. Yeah, so I mean, I don't want to dig too much into this. Larry highlights, uh, you know, there's a great AQR paper we've covered multiple times on our site. Yeah. Um, but people agree to disagree probably on this one, how much trading costs are for different anomalies. So, But one thing that's true is trading costs matter, yep. right? So all investors should take that into consideration. Yep, yep. If, if, you see a, if you see factor research that doesn't take into account trading costs, that's definitely something you want to look into. Yeah. Exactly. Um, misunderstanding of downside shocks. Yeah, so, so this one, kind of what they show in the paper, which I looked at, is just kind of like the, that, you know, if you assume something's like normally distributed, yeah, right, you kind of know, hey, here's my expected return, here's my vol, so I know kind of what my worst drawdown would be, right? What they show is actually some of, there's, there, there are bigger shocks, right? Like these factors have, different characteristics where you can have large downside events. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, actually, Wes and I, in our uh, drawdown paper that we wrote probably back in 2011 now, highlighted this fact, just that if you look at all these like long, short factor premiums, the majority of them have like 50, 60% drawdowns yeah. with no market exposure. Wow. So most investors probably overlook that. Yeah, and that's, and that's your and they And they find this in this just through similar analysis, actually. Yeah, and and that's to highlight, you know, Jack said for long short. So you're going, you know, long for value. You're going long, cheap stuff, short, yeah, expensive stuff, and you can still walk into uh, 50, 60 percent drawdown in, yeah. in a long short port factor portfolio. That's yeah. correct. That's interesting. Um, 
the the fifth last one misunderstanding of the diversification of benefits of factors um so so on this one um you know one i think one thing that highlighted in the paper is that you know historically value is slightly negatively correlated to the market yet in 08 value had a negative drawdown just kind of like a standard academic thing yeah so to the extent you know you, you make assumptions about um correlations and structures those are not necessarily static right? yeah, they can yeah change so yeah that's one thing they highlight in the paper yeah all all liquidity goes to zero in a liquidity crisis you know right think things can become correlated in a hurry i guess right? yeah, yeah well i just it's a it's a thing that you know it's similar to like i, I would i would say like this um you know there are multiple states of the world and outcomes are going to be dictated by which state you're in, mm. right? So stock bonds generally have negative correlation. Yeah. Most investors assume that, but you know uh, that's because bonds do well in like deflationary flight to quality yeah. environments. But if you hit an inflationary type environment, all of a sudden bonds won't do as well, right? So it's just they're just trying to highlight that uh, factors may not prefer if you just assume they have a static correlation in the market. That's a incorrect assumption. Great, got it. Uh, Swedro he concluded with a quote from Warren Buffett: "Success in investing doesn't correlate with IQ. Once you have ordinary intelligence, what you need is the temperament to control the urges that get other people into trouble in investing." Um, so you know, with that quote and with this paper, what what other takeaways should we have from this paper generally? I mean, just. I think everyone kind of knows this now. You know, factor investing is not like a panacea. It's not going to solve all your problems, right? There yeah. are issues with factor investing, yeah. right? So I think everyone should go into an investment strategy using factor investing, assuming it's not going to be perfect. Right, right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot of important things, you know, in, in investing, right, well before you get to, to factor investing or something, you know. Are you saving enough money? Are you know you know spending less than you earn? Do you have the proper insurance? Right, all these things, and then it's like, all right, now we can get out into these uh, this factor investing world um, if you got all the the regular stuff covered. Um, <clears throat> all right, so the last paper from our site this week was a summary of our democratized quant conference. Really, this was one you just got to go read. Um, but but instead of walking through the summary. I'll just I'll ask you, Jack. Uh, what do you think? What was the overall theme of democratized quant, and and how do, how do we hope to improve it next year? Yeah. So I mean, the theme is just to generally allow and show practitioners kind of how academic arguments go. Yeah. Um, which essentially is you know you come up with an idea, yep. present it to audience, uh, but also present it to someone who's going to discuss your paper. And then they have to, you know, give you some good suggestions, feedback. Potentially, you could say, "Hey, your your idea is pointless and stupid," yeah. right? But you then have to back up why you think that. Um, most people come through with a positive lens, even if you may think, you know, that that's a bad idea, yeah. right? You usually put a a positive spin on it. So um, that's the you know one of the main ideas of the conference is to to highlight kind of how academic research goes along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to hopefully by, by pairing these two experts together get a little bit closer to, to the truth or, or whatever that may be in investing, right? Um, 
Uh, and then any, any thoughts on next year? No, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. That's what we got for Compound Your Knowledge this week. Uh, tune in next week for, to, to get more from Jack and I. Personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of Alpha Architect itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. Alpha Architect does not resume any duty to update forward-looking statements. The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of Alpha Architect as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of the information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2018, Alpha Architect LLC. All rights reserved.